Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we'll be talking about Skynet taking over the world through AI art generators. Yes, that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we delve into the latest advancements in AI technology and how it's being used to create innovative and exciting board games. From machine learning to neural networks, we'll discuss how these technologies are changing the face of board gaming and what it means for players and designers alike. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wetworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gifted Gaze and Grace Lake. A huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Bonus, if you can tell me which one of those intros was written by not me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> you can find out if you join us in our live audience, Discord, uh, Monday nights, 8.30. I think if you're part of our Discord, I think you get notifications whenever the event gets turned on. I didn't do that on purpose, but... Sydney says, like, oh, yeah, it told me that you're recording something. So I'm like, okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so fun stuff there. And, yeah, join our Discord, join our BGA group, have fun, play games. Uh, Kitty, you're back. How's stuff? Um, you know, I'm surviving. I ate <laughs> half a cup of ice before we started this. So hopefully I'll, you know, manage. You'll you'll be fine. You'll no just be frozen on the inside. I have too many organs within me. <laughs> you have three sets of organs in you. <laughs> <clears throat> three full sets. Three full sets. That's a lot of organs, actually. Yeah. I I just have one set, and it's, I think it's too many. So too many organs. Is. Fletcher, how are you doing? I am doing good. I'm doing great. All is well. I joined I was, a rock climbing gym. You, oh yeah. <laughs> oh are yeah. You, Did uh, I tell you about that? <laughs> you said you mentioned this last week at some point. Um, that Carmen signed you up for it. Oh, yes, because, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So right. have you done rock climbing before? I have. I've never done a rock, so, never joined a rock climbing gym before. The auto belay thing. So that's basically, you, you, for those who have not rock climbed, you attach this basically cable to yourself and you're in a harness. You climb up, you get to the top, and then you just fall. You just let go and fall down. And nobody's holding on to it or anything. There's just this you know, thing at the top that uh, potentially stops you from plummeting to your doom. And it works very, very well after about a half a second of free fall. And yeah, oh, but that that's a trust even. fall. It's not even, you're it's, not, also you're not just supposed to like shoot yourself off the wall. You're supposed to like slowly lean back into it to like, you yeah. feel it catch you, I thought. Sure. Well, it, that's it's if you're letting go purposefully, you, but you could slip. Yeah. Yeah, if you could, you could slip and just fall. Yeah, um, and there is a, it will catch. There's you. definitely a yeah. There is a fall before it catches. But wow, that was getting through your brain that it's okay to let go when you're like you know three, four stories above the ground. That's a tricky one. So I got a better but, one. I, that never that never bothered me. But I have done actual rappelling before, where you're you do you're on the side of a cliff. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you ha you're hooked up to a harness again uh, with a rope. And then someone has the other end of a rope. It's going through, like, you know, a, a top line. And then you go to the edge backward. You get your mm -hmm. heels on the edge. <laughs> and then you lean backward over the edge of the cliff. That is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, there are no mats at the bottom of that one. 
No, nope. I'm wondering how uh, well that sound will pick up because as you were falling backwards, you were getting further away from the microphone. So we'll see it what adds, happens. It'll add to the effect. <laughs> it is, yeah. But yeah, no, sometimes you just have to trust technology and sometimes you have to trust other people. Um, so the Audible I've never had a problem with that. The having someone else hold on to the rope, I have had a problem with that. And Sydney <laughs> almost dropped me to the ground because as I was falling down, like she slipped. And I'm just like, I was almost, I was basically in a free fall for a half a second. And when she finally locked in, she came off the ground as I was, yeah. So anyway. Um, was she not paying attention or I, what happened? Um, It was just, it caught her off guard how much like resistance she was going to have to apply. Oh, yeah. So it got a little loose. And then, so she tightened it up. But at that point, I already had momentum, which then meant that she was started to move yeah, as well. She was the counterweight. So, yeah. And I think that was, that might have been the last time we did rock climbing. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had we had a rock climbing gym like down the street from where we lived on uh, when we all lived in the same building. Well, and you lived down the street from us. But uh, Rapid Ascent, is that what that's, that place is called? I don't know. Anyway, it was I never Rapid went there. Descent <laughs> for me. But <laughs> it, was, it was right down the street from us. So we got like, I don't know, a couple months membership or whatever. And it's kind of fun. So, yeah, I like it. Let's see. What have I been up to? I My progress for painting Marvel United has slowed down ever so slightly. I've only done nine miniatures in the last two weeks when I was supposed to do ten. So I'm one... Behind, I, I have Mantis ready to go. But I have all the Guardians of the Galaxy painted. I need to put pictures up on Discord. And I've been playing Final Fantasy fourteen more and more. Um, I bought a gaming laptop so I could play it on it. So now Did I you really? Laptop. <laughs> yeah. What? What gaming laptop I don't know why anyone ever doubts Chris anymore when he <laughs> says, I bought a thing. It, it was, it's this. Uh, so here's what, here's what happened. I, <laughs> I went to the be- I, I went I, to Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I did not go to Best Buy for this one. I went to Amazon. So, all right. So I'm playing Final Fantasy on the PS5. That's how I got into it in the first place. Right. And then I'm like, oh, okay. I really want a keyboard because I want to be able to type. When, you know, and talk to people because, you know, there's a lot of chatting there. So I got a keyboard for the PS5 and that was fine. And I'm like, oh, well, they have a Mac client because Fletcher pointed out there's a Mac client. So I downloaded the Mac client and then I started playing on my Mac and because it had a keyboard and I'm like, oh, this is much nicer than the PS5. It, it just it looks nicer. It's easier. The keyboard's right in front of me. But now I'm stuck in a room and, you know, it's not very social. I can't just sit in a room and play video games that you know eventually sydney is going to be like okay yeah that's not cool anymore wait were you not so, stuck in a room before i'm confused well i was stuck in front of the ps5 and then stuck in front of here but and that was before when i didn't really i'm like eh, just kind of toying around with this i'm not going to keep playing it and then i decided it's fun and i like it and then i'm going to keep playing it <laughs> so i'm like all right i i can't run this on my laptop because my laptop has an, a mac m1 an Apple M1 chip in it, and this particular game doesn't run on the M1 chip. So, okay, fine. Let me take a look at a cheap Windows laptop and see what that's going to cost. But I want to make sure it's a gaming laptop. I don't want to just get, like, a $150 laptop. It's not going to work. 
And I found one that was relatively inexpensive, about the same price as a PS5, maybe $100 more. And so I picked it up and I'm like, it's from Amazon, so I can return it if I don't like it. You know, I have like 30 days. Amazon's great to try these kind of things. And I got it and I installed the game and then I just fell in love. And now I can sit upstairs on the laptop while the kids are, you know, watching cartoons before bedtime or whatever. And it feels like I'm part of the family. Sydney's actually said, it's like, I love coming downstairs and you're on the couch on your laptop because now you're hanging out with us as opposed to being downstairs. And I'm like, um, but I'm playing video games on the laptop. It's like, yes, but you're up here. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's a win-win. So it's really, you know, for family life yeah you did it for family for family but i guess my skeptical face is not audible (laughs) it is not it also just bounces right off of me you're always (laughs) "Eh." but no it is i yeah i'm i'm kind of rehooked on the game i i really do like it spencer has actually been replaying final fantasy 2 with our children final fantasy 2 was is was is great um they're all very much enjoying it yeah it's so good i keep uh, coming in and out and i'm so like i don't know who these people are or like you know i'll be seeing his party i'm like when did that person get here who is he and like everyone is just like mom like, yeah. sorry i'm the one who what does I, the dishes <laughs> <laughs> like jumping in and what out. what i love moment. about the american versions of final fantasy one two and three and these are nintendo uh, Final Fantasy, like original 8-bit Nintendo Final mm-hmm. Fantasies, um, is every time you met someone new, you could name them. And mm-hmm. you didn't know anything about the characters, but you could just give them a name. And so I would always like give... Everyone had names of people I knew at school or you know my family or whatever. And I remember naming one of the characters my brother's name. And you know he was a party member for quite some time. And I, I'm just going to... It's not really a spoiler because it's spoiler spoilers for, for a twenty-year-old game. game, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but at some point, this character turned on you, turns on you, and suddenly you find out they're the bad guy. And I remember being devastated of like, just like the pain of being like the my brother turned on me, and I'm just like, oh my, argh. oh, it was the best experience I've ever had in a game. It was, <laughs> it's just amazing. And that's where I fell it basically fell in love with Final Fantasy, but I really only like the fantasy versions of them. Like Final Fantasy VII, people love. I've tried playing that a couple times. It it's tedious. I can't do it. I can't. Oh, love um, that one. But eleven and fourteen, which are both MMOs, um, listen to some episode in the, in the three most weeks recent ago <laughs> three weeks ago yeah those yeah. ones i like they give so much throwback to the final fantasies that i love that even though it's a different world it's a different story it's it's connected to my childhood and there's just like this visceral like feeling of joy yeah no i'm i told you, before uh we started recording i'm like i'm in a good mood and i like the mood i'm in so um, yeah, Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm now playing it. There is a Final Fantasy fourteen channel that I started in the Discord. Um, there, I may end up moving to a different server, and then Fletcher, have you you haven't played it yet at all, really? Have you? I haven't. Okay, so there is another server. There's a new data center that's got picked up or started up in North America. Um, server transfers are closed for this week. So if you're listening to this before the next podcast drops, you can't transfer servers. But after that, um, I may move to one of the new servers 
And if that's the case, I will post that in Discord. So if anyone who wants to play Final Fantasy XIV, it's free for the first um, vast majority of the game, up to level 60 for everything. Um, you it's a can little tricky to find, or it can be there. the free version, but it's there. Yeah. Yep. Um, we'll post links in the Final Fantasy XIV channel on Discord. So if you're interested in an MMO and playing with a group of board gamers, um, there will be information to take a look at. It is no longer the number one. It was number one last year. And then apparently World of Warcraft came out with an expansion that put them back up at the top. But it's still one of the best um, MMOs. And it's still being, it's still in development. It's still active and it's still, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. But we're not here to talk about MMOs. We did that already. We're here to talk about AI. And I'm going to have a lot to add to this conversation, guys. I think (laughs) you're going to have a ton to add because (laughs) you, well, both of you are going to be coming from a different perspective than I'm coming from. And I'm curious how, I I, I know, I'm super curious about how this plays out because there has been a lot of backlash against AI art in board games. And I personally find that backlash ridiculous. 100% ridiculous. Artists should not fear for their jobs. You might not have a job. I mean, it's possible that AI <laughs> to take over your job, but that's fine. Like, that's just how the world works. Fear. <laughs> like, I'm Artists not trying to squash I'm trying to... They I tried to say one. that so <laughs> there are certain things that happen in human history that make some jobs obsolete and bring in other jobs. And that's just the normal way of things. I truly do not think that AI art is going to replace artists. Um, I think that's nearly impossible. Um, but the idea, uh, just recently, Paizo Games, they're the publisher of Pathfinder, came out with a statement saying that they will not use AI in any of their gaming products because, you know, power to the creators and human creations are better than AI creations, et cetera, et cetera. And I found the need to make that statement or the desire to make it or the PR involved in making it just baffling to me. It is just baffling, but we're going to get into it. And that's, that's why I wanted to like talk about this. Um, because I want to know, am I wrong? Am I wrong in saying this is not going to destroy the world? Skynet is not coming for your job, um, but Skynet may do your job for you. That's that's going to happen. Um, so, Kitty, something that I know you know about, um, I think you know about, I'm pretty sure you know about. Can you mm-hmm. tell us the story of the Luddites <laughs> off the top of your head? Um, during the Industrial Revolution, there was a group of people who thought that technology was going to cause humanity's, all of humanity's problems to be worse and terrible, and they refused to use any of these new technologies and went to go start their own lives in the woods. <laughs> that's the gist of it's- it. That's the gist of it. Um, it's a little bit more. <clears throat> There's a lot more speci- nuance there. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit more specific, um, even. So, um, yeah. it let it let it is now a blanket term that is basically you know referring to people who don't like new technology. Uh, so I say anyone who's afraid of ChatGPT or Midjourney or any of the other image generators and things like that, um, if those are the things that you're like, okay, this is the downfall of society, um, you are now officially a luddite as modern as it is defined modernly um 
your concerns may or may not be true. I, I'm not saying that the concern that this is the downfall of humanity, um, that could be the, the case. Any technology could be the downfall of humanity. But that's essentially what happens here. But the Luddite essentially started in Britain. Um, this was a weavers and textile textile workers. So essentially artisan workers, right? They make, you know, clothes and fabrics and things like this. Um, this was 1779. And they were raging against the machine, as you would, <laughs> because these machines were going to take over these highly skilled jobs and therefore essentially put them all out of work. And to some extent, that happened, right? You you don't typically have... Eh, there's machines involved in a lot of our, our creation of fabrics and, and clothing and stuff like this. Um, Kitty, how is your sock machine? Um, it needs finessing, but it it, <laughs> it it does most of the things it's supposed to do. It's not so, making socks yet, but it moves yarn in a circle. There you go. So Kitty can knit socks. Um, is it knit? Is that the I, right term? I, I would knit a sock, yes. You don't crochet okay. socks. That would be uncomfortable. I was just checking. Um, and But there's machines that can be used to make socks for you. Now, the skills involved in you knitting a sock mm-hmm. are different than the skills involved in you using the machine to make a sock, right? Yes, correct. But the skills that you know, that that like the fact that you know how to make a sock means that when you see the machine do it, you know how to like fix issues or you basically know what the machine is doing. So that I have you can a leg up on how to figure out how to use the machine because I know what the machine is trying to accomplish. Right. And so this is this is how most new technologies work. Um, I could have put a, probably a dozen examples, but Fletcher, I'm going to throw it. I'm going to just off the top of your head, an example of a technology in the last 500 years that was invented that put someone out of work. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff. So, I mean, I majored in economics and usually the, the example that they always give is like the milkman, right? Like the refrigerators put the milkman, refrigerators and pasteurization put the milkman out of business. There's no, no longer is there a person that goes to your home and delivers milk to you anymore. That job is no longer exists because we have refrigeration and good refrigeration. Yep. Unless you're retro and are having a milkman from Oberice um, deliver milk to you. So I think you mentioned. Which I used to do. Recently. Yeah. I did actually. Um, but I don't think it was on the podcast. I think that was just in life because we were actually hanging out <laughs> yeah. together. <laughs> but yes. Yep. So, um, I mean, I grew a lot up of these things milk they... being delivered and I used to do it, but then I moved outside of their delivery zone. I'm sad about it. A lot of these things are more niche now, right? Like you could technically still get milk delivered. And the other one is like, you know, the, the buggy whip manufacturer, right? Like how many buggy whips do you need now? I'm sure there's, you can still buy them and there you can, but they used to be like a much bigger industry than exists today. Those jobs are pretty much like all gone except for well, niche. Like, yeah. The market. car, you know, the, the computer, how many, you know, the computer destroyed many industries, but created many more industries, right? Um, the car destroyed the you know horse and buggy industry and anything around that, but then created a ton of different industries. And see, in economics, something like you would call this like I mean, a lot of people don't like how it's how it's phrased, but this is this is freeing up labor to be more productive. <laughs> yes, 
which is which is kind of true though, right? And, which and we're is true. Mostly, you might not yeah. want your labor to be freed up, but it is freeing up labor, so society at on a whole can be more productive. Yep. And now, and it's this is one of the things that and I th- what did I put in here? Um, oh, the more machines and AI do work for us, the more we can focus on being creative and do whatever we want. Oops, except for now, AI is threatening our creative jobs too. So these are the kinds of things where, wait a minute, you weren't supposed to be able to mess with my creativity because that is purely a human thing. And it isn't. It, it, it hasn't been for a long time, right? It's, it's more popular now than uh, been before. But we can make programs, computer programs, do things that look creative and cool. And are they truly creative or not? It doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter if they truly are creative, if they feel creative, if they feel like, you know, original, then it then it is. And so let me let me take a step back here for uh, the inspiration of this episode. Some of our listeners also listen to a, a podcast called Board Game Insider. And Board Game Insider, they post a question in their forums on Board Game Geek. Um, every week, they have a different question. And one of the questions was, how will AI software like ChatGPT and Dolly improve or hurt our laptop ga- or our, our tabletop gaming in the next 12 months or in the next 12 years? So this was, you know, just throw it out to the, to the users. Now, the first response to this, and I'm... I mean, it's not hard to find. This is Playtesting 267 in the Board Game Insider Guild. The first response to this, I, I had to, I had to kind of snicker to myself. Um, the response is, and I'm going to read this verbatim. As a young designer publisher company, I only know that I have no plans to utilize AI for anything typically considered an artistic area, specifically artwork and game design elements. I am sure there are as many opinions on this topic as there are people, but for me, the decision is based on the fact that I simply love how unpredictably creative and unique humans are. For example, I love to look for artwork made by humans that is creative, beautiful, fresh, and unique. Well, what if you can't tell... If an artwork is made by humans, what if you look at something and you're like, oh, that's creative, fun, and unique? Oh, but the artist was an AI, so that's no longer creative, what? fun, and unique because it wasn't created by a human anymore. Yeah, what does made by humans mean? Exactly. Right? <laughs> like, did they use a computer? I'm old enough to remember a time where Photoshop was considered cheating in creating art. Because now you can layer things, you can undo, you can, you can like the colors, you can change anything you want, anytime you want. And this was You can add blur effects. <laughs> you can add, yes, blur effects. To you different degrees. That is like, <laughs> would be very hard to do if you were doing it by hand. This, but this was considered like cheating. Like, oh, no, 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 that's not real art. If you're not using a physical medium, you're not making real art. Digital art's not real art. Now, I would say that most artists today would say that's absolutely, like, not true. Um, and I will ask you this, Fletcher. Do you know how to use Photoshop? No. At all? I mean, barely. I, I know enough. All right. I, I, I know how to use it, like, a little bit. I never I never really had access to Photoshop, so I never used it. How did you have access what to about, Photoshop? I have, I have access Chris to Photoshop. Chris bought it because he's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. But, all right, so any image editing software. So, Kitty, you were... you. Um, we're drawing a bunch of bluey characters and stuff. I and you were using software art. to help you do that. Yes. Right? 
So are you not an artist because you were doing it digitally? Of course I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know how to use Photoshop. I'm actually very, very good at Photoshop. Am I an artist? No, not at all. I know how to use Photoshop. I can make it do anything that Photoshop can do, but I cannot create original creative things. It's just not something I can do. So what I'm getting there is just because there's a tool available to you doesn't mean that that tool is suddenly going to be like all you need to be an expert at that thing. Or that you'll be an expert at using the tool. Right. Like me. I I barely know how to, I, I know how to use Photoshop just like a little bit, but I get confused all the time. I'm like, what does this do? This is a layer. What, where'd the image go? Wait, how do I get it back? There's a this lot of buttons. This is something that comes up in um, sewing quite a bit still, is if you sew something on a home sewing machine, there are still people out there who will try to argue that it is not a handmade garment. Not handmade. Because you used a sewing okay. machine. Because you used a sewing machine. You did not sew by hand the entire yeah, that, 100% that's like, thing. It's like, this is not home cooked because you bought this sauce to put on top of yeah. it. It's like, well... It's more like this is not um, a home-cooked meal because, like, you used canned you tomatoes that you bought at the store. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Because you didn't make your own cheese. You didn't make your own cheese. You didn't get out there and milk your cow. You aren't raising your own chickens. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like, oh, you're not doing things the way people did literally 200 years ago. Um, it's not authentic, so... All right, so let's let's get into how this affects board gaming. Um, for for the record, the intro <laughs> it only took um, us twenty seven minutes. <laughs> yes, well, you have to get us foundation of what's going on here. Um, the, our intros, the Skynet comment was was mine. Um, Fletcher was actually like, "Do you really want me to say this before the show?" I'm like, "Yes." Everything Kitty read was written by ChatGPT, except for the first two words um, this mm-hmm. week. The rest of it, we delve into the latest. Blah, 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 blah. That was all. Uh, just an impromptu um, prompt that I put into chat beat GPT. The chat or the prompt I put in there was specifically write a three to five sentence intro to a board gaming podcast about AI being used to make board games. And that's, that's what I told chat GPT and it came out with the rest of it. Yeah. And it was way more coherent than what you've normally written. (laughs) My typical (laughs) stuff is. Yeah. Um, In this playtesting forum, the comment that I really like uh let me find it here is in the next 12 months ai software like ChatGPT and dolly will likely have an impact on tabletop gaming while they could potentially be used to create more advanced and immersive game experiences the technology is still in its early stages and most tabletop games are still played using physical components however in the next 12 months 12 years ai software is likely to have a significant impact on tabletop gaming for example ai could be used to create more complex and realistic game scenarios prove um provide assistance to players by Excuse me, by suggesting moves and strategies, and even create entirely new games based on player preferences. On the other hand, there is also the risk that AI software could make tabletop gaming less social by allowing players to rely too heavily on AI assistance and reducing the need for human interaction. Additionally, AI-generated games may lack the creativity and spontaneity of human-designed games, which could be a concern for some players. Overall, the impact of AI on tabletop gaming is likely to be both positive and negative and will depend on how the technology is developed and implemented. This was the response given by ChatGPT when asked, how will AI affect gaming in the next 12 months and the next 12 years? This response is phenomenal. Now, Corey, 
um, Corey Thompson. He now does Dice Tower Now, which is formerly Dice Tower News, which was formerly a, a podcast that Kitty and I were doing. He does a great job. He's now a regular on um, Board Game Insider. He was appalled by this and called it just a mishmash of words that didn't mean anything. And I am like, if this is a mishmash of words that didn't mean anything, then so is 95% of anything anyone has ever written ever. <laughs> That's just how I feel. Like, I think this is a great response. Is it generic? Sure. Yes, 100%. This is a generic response. And is it like going deep into any specific thing? No. But I would say that for the most part, there's nothing inaccurate in this, and we can never really know. Um, Chris, Christopher says, this is way too coherent for a BGG user, so it's obviously from AI, <laughs> which I agree. It's This is a great response. Um, recently at work, uh, we've been pitching projects that we, we pitch. Occasionally, we'll pitch things to uh, the government and stuff, and everything in the government is very regulated. There's a, there's a rubric for everything. So we asked ChatGPT the answer to one of these government questions that was being asked to us in this pitch. Nice. And it came out with an answer that I could not do better. Like, none of us. Like, there were six of us that have been in the industry for, you know, a collective of, like, 100 years. Um, and we're all like, yeah, there's, like... We could tweak this, but ultimately you don't need to. This is exactly right. <laughs> and and I'm like, huh, that's that's pretty cool. So uh, have either of you done any kind of, and Kitty, I, this is probably, I know the answer for you, but Fletcher, there's a possibility. Have you done any research into AI and what it is and how it works? Absolutely like any not. reading or? Um, <laughs> only, um, only a little bit, not a lot. So I think it's worth a quick, and I'll do this in less than three minutes, um, introduction to what artificial intelligence is. Because when we say AI, it's this blanket statement that can mean so many things. And what yeah. something like Midjourney, who is... Talking about narrow is, AI. Yeah. Um, Midjourney is a image creation software. And there's a bunch of other ones. I think Dolly is another one. Um, and then ChatGPT is a natural language um conversation bot to the extreme right where you it feels like you're talking to someone if you didn't realize that this was ai and it's presented as ai um you could be fooled by this pretty easily i think but the way that these technologies work versus like amazon recommendations um and you also hear the term machine learning the concepts behind them are shared in some way, but work very, very differently in in how they're implemented. So like Amazon recommending to me that I should get this thing, that is not AI in the same way that ChatGPT is AI. Yeah, it, is, it is learning. It's heuristic. Yep. It's learning from what you're doing, but heuristics are applied to what you do. Heuristics are simply rules. If I'm looking for a a PS5 controller and a charger for this and this particular video game, hey, you might be interested in this, um, you know, funky skin that you can put on your PS5, right? There's These are heuristics. These are rules. If you're this and this and this, this is a probably something you also want. This is not AI in the same way that ChatGPT and MidJourney is, but it's a form of machine learning. It's learning your habits. Most AI that you've encountered that you see that's what it is and it's dumb 
right? It's 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 predictable. As soon as Kitty starts looking for clothes for twins, she starts getting ads, you know, flyers from Target saying, "Hey, we have a double stroller for you," right? Or if you buy the those thing, are just and then you see more ads for it, and you're like, "I've already purchased it." Like this is <laughs> exactly yes. <laughs> That's the one that kills me. Um, I if I get one more ad for those shoes I don't have to bend over to put on, I am going to lose it. <laughs> that is all my shoes. That is all but, I um... see. <laughs> but yeah, so those those are a form of machine learning, but they're rule-based. They're not how ChatGPT and MidJourney work. Now, what those do is these are neural networks, um, which sounds cooler than it is or scarier than it is depending on your perspective sounds like and lieutenant commander data exactly um if and if you're a star trek fan then you should be I, actually if you're a star trek fan i don't know if you should be pro or con ai but if you think data is um you know data is life well welcome to the future because that's kind of where we're getting to but so the way neural networks work is they're modeled on how our brains work and we have a pretty good understanding of how our brains work, right? We have all these neurons, and there's connections between them. And those connections are weaker or stronger, uh, depending on something. It's just how strong a chemical is between two neurons. Um, I'm sure we have scientists that are listening that are much, much better at understanding the brain than I am, but I'm just giving you a high-level um, view of this. And in my undergrad, I actually, like... It was it was a it was just short of a minor in um, artificial intelligence and uh, neural networks. This was the '90s, and we did not have the technology to do a true, like a real neural network to the level that you would need to be useful. I wrote a neural network in the '90s that would identify whether or not something that you wrote down was a T or a C. That's all it did. You could say it was a T or a C with some degree of certainty. Hot dog or not hot dog. <laughs> Hot dog or not hot dog, um, which is way better than my T or C. <laughs> but you'll sometimes hear how the developers of these technologies don't understand how they work. And that's why at the core of this, all the model is, and we talk about models like the ChatGPT model has been trained on the internet up to, I think, three years ago, right? And that's where it gets all its information from is this, it was quote unquote trained on all this information. What that does is you keep teaching, again, I'm using you know human terms, but you keep putting inputs into these models, and then you look at the output, and you tell the model whether or not it was right or wrong. And then you tweak the inputs, and you keep cycling that over and over. You can do it millions of times. Um, this is how the AI programs like Go was able to you know get good at um, those games, is they play them millions of times in a very short period of time. And they get better and better and better um, as they do that because you simply say, yes, you were right or no, you weren't. And it can adjust based on that. Now, these models are far more complex when you talk about things like ChatGPT or MidJourney. Um, but the, uh, at this core, it's that same concept. It is, there are no, there's no code that says ChatGPT should respond this way or that way. It's just Here's a bunch of information. I'm going to throw in an input. I'm going to look at your output. I'm going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. Now, that output is going to be proven. That There's actually going to be software that looks at that output and decides whether or not it was a good output or a bad output. And that's how training the models is actually very important. But ultimately, the end result is just a bunch of weighted connections between values. And how that comes out with something that makes any sense whatsoever 
is as a mystery to us as our brains are because they work in the same way. And that's what makes these very interesting. So when you look at ChatGPT and you say, oh, this is just a mishmash of words smashed together, well, that's basically what we do on any given day, (laughs) right? It sure feels that way. (laughs) Yeah. We take our experiences that we've learned from, and then we can come up with, you know, meaningful sometimes output to answer a question. Midjourney um, also works in that same way. This is the image generator one, where it's trained on, you know, thousands of images. And this is controversial as being trained on images on the internet without, um, you know, approval for people to be trained on. But I don't need approval to look at something and say, oh, I think this is, this is going to change the way that I look at this particular art, or this is going to change the way that I paint a miniature or something like that. I learn from these things all the time. Every time I watch someone paint something, every time I look at a, you know, really anything, it's affecting my overall understanding of how things work. And that's what these programs do. Now, they do it much faster than humans can. Um, Midjourney is looking at, you know, millions of images. Um, and then it's using all of that. But in, in the end, it's essentially doing the same thing. It's taking something, it's adding it to its, knowledge, and then it can use that later when you prompt it and ask it for something. Now, if you were to just say mid-journey, give me an image, it could be anything, right? Nothing nothing meaningful is going to pop out. It could just, you know, you could have a dog playing with a tennis ball, or you could just have some kind of nebulous blob in a dark room, right? There could be anything there. You have to give it some kind of direction, just like you have to give people some kind of direction. Um, But that's how these things are trained. And it's scary for people to say, wait a minute, it's consuming all of human knowledge because the internet. um, And therefore, it's cheating. It's cheating because it has, it can do these things that humans can't do. Um, I would say humans do have, still have an advantage on things. But, um, does that make sense? I, that might have been longer than three minutes. I think that was like seven minutes. But yeah, I, I mean, should have timed you as soon as you set a time, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things. that's like, is it cheating? Like a human can do this. Like, sure, a computer can do it a lot faster, but a human can still do it, right? Yeah. Like, and and we are like humans are doing this now. One of the th- the biggest complaints for the image generation stuff, uh, Chappie G- GPT we'll get into in a second too, but let's talk about image generation because this is the big one. You can essentially ask these AI image generators to make you an image for really anything you ask for. I want a dog, I want a picture of a dog playing tennis and it'll generate pictures of dogs playing tennis and they will be absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. Everything about them, just terrible. Now, what you see when people when you, people are talking about this stuff is you see these amazing images and like you know this was AI generated. I what don't know don't if that's true. You. I see a lot of like really goofy and ridiculous images. Like this is what happens when you ask this to create an image for you. <laughs> yep, and those are the ones. The ones that you're seeing. Are the ones who's like, wait a minute, I asked Midjourney to do this thing and it gave me this, which is completely unusable garbage. Mm-hmm. That is what these things do, is give you unusable garbage. If, But it's a tool. And if you take that unusable garbage and say, okay, I kind of like what it's doing here. Because n- typically what these things do is they will generate four images. Mm-hmm. And then you'll pick one and say, okay, I like that one. Give me another four images based on that. 
or inspired by that. And then you can kind of iterate on those over and over. You're still going to end up with a lot of garbage. But if you really want these tools to do and give you meaningful things, what you end up doing is you'll take these images, you'll bring them into Photoshop, you will tweak them, you'll highlight the things that you like and don't like, then you'll feed that image back into the system, and you'll repeat that many times until finally it ends up with something that you like. This is not taking over artist's job. This is simply allowing people who are not artistic to create things that they normally wouldn't be able to create. It's still work. It's not instantaneous. You can't just use the first thing that comes out of these systems. They will look like garbage. But now me, who can use Photoshop and is pretty okay with technology, I can now use these systems to create art where before I couldn't. And I think that that's the thing that's very, very important. Just like the car now allows us to travel great distances where before we couldn't. You know, airplanes are even more. The The world keeps getting smaller and smaller as we're able to make bigger and bigger leaps as an individual basis. These tools are not replacing artists. I mean, they could, but but are they really? If I'm a game designer and I need art for my new trading card game and I have 400 cards, there's no way in the world that I'm going to get money to pay an artist to do 400 cards of art. But I might be able to spend a lot of time, and I mean a lot of time, in mid-journey creating this art myself and it, it's until it's good enough to be passable for the game. And then I could publish that. I'm not taking money away from any artist because I would have never been able to give artists that money in the first place. So the independent developer who doesn't, who can't afford art because it is the most expensive piece part of designing a game, this is empowering them to do something that they would not have been able to do before. It's shifting that industry focus to, I don't have to be an artist to design a game that looks good. And that I think is incredibly powerful. Am I am I wrong on this? Am I off on this? Like, is this is this cheating? Um, I think that it, your scenario is not bad. Somebody who wouldn't be able to afford an artist otherwise couldn't create the art on their own uses this tool to make themselves, you know, an okay game. Great. Um, the problem is if large companies decide we're not going to pay artists, we're just going to slap this stuff on there, you know, if it becomes something that like, well, now the industry as a whole no longer wants to hire artists because people have shown that having high quality art doesn't matter. They just want something that looks good enough. So, you know, it, because... What you're losing is the the skill that goes into creating good art is not being valued. So, you know, this goes back to, you know, the Luddites and knitting yep. <laughs> and socks. And, you know, somebody who's been, if you've ever worn a hand-knit pair of socks by somebody who actually knows how to knit socks, they're so much better and more comfortable and you can get them fitted exactly to your foot and they're so nice and warm and cozy compared to the pack of they're socks that you buy at Target. Socks. Yeah. They're bespoke socks and they're they're the best and they feel so good. And they're 
any pair of socks that you buy at Target is not going to feel as good as a hand-knitted pair of socks by somebody who knows how to do that and has that skill and that labor. It used to be, you know, those people, anyone who could do that could make a living and have, you know, a valuable skill there. Now it is very, very niche for anyone to want hand-knitted socks. And usually you just have to know someone and get lucky or teach yourself how to do it if you want hand-knitted socks. Because the difference is not valuable enough to the regular consumer. Yeah, and I'm going to... Miles actually um, makes a great point here. Quality goes down, but they're available to the masses. So here's the question. Do we care about the people who are making socks? Or do we care about the people who can't afford socks because they're too expensive because they're everything's handmade? So by making these, you know, we'll say 18 packs of socks in a plastic bag for $10 versus the hand-knitten socks... Now everyone gets to wear socks. If you want the handmade socks, you can certainly go out and try to find someone to do that for you. But what we've done is we have made it available to the masses. And I think art's the same way. Well, (laughs) what we've done also is um, eliminate the need for a lot of sock makers right now. And in the end, I think it will balance itself out like it did in the industrial revolution like nobody's like out there crying for all of the sock makers today but in the beginning yeah it puts out a lot of people and it takes away their money and their ability to make a living so as every industry revolution or cycle does yeah right? absolutely like we don't it, have to go back cost, to the 1700s to see this, we could see this, um, you know, computers and and you know, we used to have entire pools of of typically women in in the typing pool, right? And someone would hand you a handwritten memo, and you would have to type it up, and that's what we did to you know really make anything into a typed form from a written form. Now we just do everything in computers, and we don't worry about doing any of that. So we put a, a like out of work entire industries. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the computer, I, I, you could probably write countless volumes of the type of work we put out of, of the business. You can but, see it going on right now. Any McDonald's you walk into, there is a big touch screen that will take your order for you and you don't need a human anymore. Yeah. Which are the worst interface on the planet, by the way. I hate those <laughs> things so much. They're fine when they work. <laughs> Still, I don't need a three foot tall screen. It's, I don't need exercise to order my McDonald's. That's why I went to McDonald's <laughs> in the first place. Um but yeah, so these we see these technologies all the time, right? And we're trying to reduce the amount of, you could say, menial labor. Now, I'm not saying that creative things is menial, but I am saying that things that can, it, it doesn't matter that it's as a creative aspect. It's still something that has Usually a higher... You, you would say low-skill labor, labor, not menial Sure, labor. but I mean, I, yeah, I don't even know... But art isn't it's not really skill that, labor. right? Yeah. So it's not menial either. So is... what's the point you're making? <laughs> yeah. It makes it more accessible. It, it basically just makes it more accessible. I think that's the best way to say that is it makes creating something that's visually appealing easier for more people to do. The tool is doing it. Don't get me wrong. Like Midjourney is the one creating the images, but someone is operating that tool. And... Anybody can operate that tool. 
Now, there's going to be people that are good at it and they can create amazing images. And there are people that are going to be bad at it and just keep getting blobs in a room. I think that's the real thing is that this is going to turn out to be more skilled probably than people think it is. Like, yeah, you don't need to have the same set of skills, but you need a set of skills to make this happen. Not just anyone off the street can walk in with no experience and make good images. You have to know how to use Photoshop. You have to know how to use computers. And like, I think that you're thinking that this is like, oh, this will open it up to the masses, Chris, because you think I am the masses, but you're not. You just have this skill set already. I will, I'm not necessarily the masses, but more people than can do it now. I think different people that can do it now. Um. So I guess that makes more. it more. Yeah. Sure. So now Maybe. when I talk to like my job, so I'm I'm a programmer, right? That's that's my day job is I write code. And there's a lot of these AI tools out there, ChatGPT being one of them, that can now write code for us. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I can I can say, Kitty, ChatGPT will write code for you. And you can go to ChatGPT right now. Like literally you click on a link. Yeah, and you just type in a prompt. Write me JavaScript that will, you, you know, present a drop-down dialog with these five options, and it will give you that code. It's written the code for you. But then you look at it, you're like, okay, I don't know what this to do. With this means nothing to me. I this don't know nothing. what to do with it. I don't know if it works. I don't know how to test if it works. I don't, I don't know. know. Change anything? Yeah, I can't fix a problem if there is one. I don't have the ability to. Do anything with that. But, so the people who are most excited about these will write code for you things are developers. They're the people yes. who write code. It's the Spencer. People that are, it's and, you two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you another won't stop thing, talking uh, about it. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> well, I think I was talking to Spencer about this, and he mentioned having um, something like ChatGPT check code. So pe- someone will write their code, and they check it into um, a common repository where all the code lives. And having AI look at that code and see if it can see any errors in there. Um, mm-hmm. This is something we do now. We call it code review. I check something in. Fletcher looks at it and he can say, hey, I think this could be a problem or whatever. And we iterate on this. Well, now you can have AI check that stuff. And because I will tell you, code reviews are just horrible. They're horrible on all, <laughs> in all respect. I hate them so much. But if AI was doing this, but you have hey, to I'm not going to take offense. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to take offense. You know, Fletcher telling me I'm wrong. No, Fletcher, I'm I'm not I'm the boss. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> ChatGPT telling me I'm wrong. I'm like ah, I can't even yell at you. I just have to look at this and actually acknowledge that. Okay, maybe I am. Um, so that's a really good use for it. My artist friends and I have I work with a lot of artists. They are super excited for these technologies. Mm-hmm. Like they look at Midjourney and they like this is not something I fear. This is something that is really cool and I can use. Now, um, exactly, because uh, somebody, like I said, you know, you have these skills to use it and it's going to open up the pool. But somebody who definitely has the skills to take this AI generated art and make it really cool, you know, who has those skills? Artists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Artists are all really good at this stuff already and they're, they're going the to ones. be able to use this to open up new doors, make new kinds of art. You know, it's like, whoever invented acrylic paint versus oil paint, you know, like look at the doors that open for people. It's a technology that anyone can use, including the people who are already creating art. 
Yep. Now, Miles sums up some of the major concerns out there really well in a single sentence. Some people are claiming copyright since the AI is using artwork databases to compile a style and producing it using the exact painting styles of an artist right down to the brush strokes. So the concern here is, well, who gave anyone the right to use my art to learn from it? Mm-hmm. And I would say this is a hard one to prove. This is this is a hard one to sell to anyone. So what you're essentially saying is I am not allowed to look at something and you and consume that image and have that affect me going forward. Now, I'm a human. I'm consuming one thing at a time. This is a it's a scale issue, right? I can only consume one thing at a time. ChatGPT can, you know, do millions of things at a time. Um or It's also, you know, like journey or whatever. There's an element of like how well can a human copy another human's style, even if I've studied it, looked at it, spent years on it. You, you know, have like, to be a fantastic artist to do that. You have to be a really fantastic artist to do that. And the AI does not. It does not. But it also isn't going to do it very well. So because so this is one of the controversies is in the style of pick somebody, right? So if you're like, <laughs> give me a dog playing just tennis like Miles in the style of Picasso. Here. Yet. <laughs> They're not yes. very good at this yet. They are oh, it, learning. <laughs> they are. So, and we'll get to that in in a second, but like if I if I ask Midjourney to create a dog playing tennis in the in the style of Picasso, and I say Picasso cuz the only real style that I can think of that we've created period, I I would say there has not been an original art style created in the last I don't know pick any date at all <laughs> nothing is original everything is what? played off I, of someone else i disagree but yeah we'll go show, with your premise to finish your point <laughs> my point is you don't own a style you own the art you create do you, you ever look at a piece style. of art and it's go like movement. oh that's a monet oh i can discern that that's picasso oh i, I know that I, this was painted right. by i only a know picasso because i'm like if i look at him like oh that's crap then i'm like oh that's it's yeah that's cr- that abstract picasso thing but that's like the it's style blue and it. it's cubism it's picasso <laughs> yeah i am not sometimes an art connoisseur though i'm not sometimes it's cubism sometimes it's blue cubism sometimes but- it's blue cubism uh guernica <laughs> <laughs> my point is you can't you can't just say, look, I I drew this piece of art, made this piece of art, produced it, and now the stylistic representation of everything that could be created that looks similar to this, I now own. Like, that's not something that anyone's ever, I don't think anyone's trying to claim that. But 100% that is what Disney has always done. That is what Disney um, has made their money doing. If you draw a mouse that looks like this, give us your money. So that's a little different in <laughs> like like I understand what you're saying there, right? There there is certain aspects to what Disney does, especially with Mickey Mouse and the ears and things like that. Like, but they actually have that's not patents, but I think they probably did at some point. Um, copyrights on particular elements and aspects of that, right? The ears being this percent ratio to that and those types of things. I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm just saying we shouldn't be allowed to do it. Okay, because if you, when I got into drawing um, families as Bluey, part of the reason I didn't really get into it, start, you know, like doing this online, taking commissions, was because people will, like, companies will send you cease and desist. You cannot do this. You cannot say, I'll draw your family in the style of Bluey. I will draw your family in the style of The Simpsons. I will draw your family in the style of Futurama, because that's not like, 
okay to these companies. You are using their art style and you are capitalizing on their brand. And you will go on Etsy and you can search and you can see, it won't say, draw me in the style of the Simpsons. It'll say, I can make you a yellow family. And yes. <laughs> there are all of these bizarre workarounds that people use to, and this is not, you know, individual artists, this is companies, but still there are, there is a hundred percent stylized enough art styles that are out there being defended by companies. I think the main thing you said there was branding, right? It's the branding nature of it. And I will admit that there is, yes, there's a certain aspects of that where it's like you are, and but this is not just an AI thing. This is artists in general, right? It is easy to encroach too closely upon someone else's brand. Like the Simpsons style of art is a brand for the Simpsons. Um, if you made them blue, it's no longer the Simpsons and you're, you're completely off brand, right? But because if you have enough similar elements, you're not, you're not being inspired by a style. You're copying a branding. I, mm-hmm. it's a it's a slippery is that slope. Illegal, I'll give it though? that. Um it's a gray area. Assuming, obviously you're not it's using gray the characters. Area. It's a gray area. It's a gray area. area. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is when you're when you're actually fighting against big corporations, the little guy's going to fail. You're just going to yes. be like, "Okay, fine. I can't afford to be in this fight." Um I don't know that anyone's ever actually ruled on whether or not I can create Simpsons characters of my family, si- or characters in the style of the Simpsons for my family. Or in anyone's and then sell it. I don't think that's ever actually gone any place. I would suspect that you have the right to um, trade dress. Is, is I think that's the term that's used. Where it's like our trade dressing is specific to us. It's what makes us unique. And if you encroach on that, then you are encroaching on, you know, you're probably hitting that legal gray area. Again, varies by country, blah, blah, blah. But um but if you're not trying to say, I am, this is not The Simpsons, you're just making yellow characters, that's probably not a problem because you're not trying to encroach on that style. And what's happening right now is there's some very popular artists, um, you know, whether it be uh, video art, game art, whatever the case is, where you can tell Midjourney to do in the style of this particular artist. And that's being challenged as, hey, wait a minute. This is my trade. This is my this is my branding, right? This is what this sets is me how apart I make from my other money. artists. <laughs> exactly. So, because you're specifically using my name and referencing my art, that is, I think that's a valid thing of saying, okay, yes, we're probably getting too close to encroaching on someone else's livelihood, that where they may have a case there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. You shouldn't be restricted. So, like, um, someone mentioned um, Warhammer, which made me think of uh, uh, Warcraft and that art style, (laughs) right? Like, it's this bubbly, cartoony, thick-lined art style. When you see it, you think Warcraft. Mm -hmm. I have seen dozens of games, especially in the video card game industry, use that same style. They never reference, you know... Warcraft or uh, World of Warcraft directly, but you know that's what it was inspired by, and that it's come to a point where you kind of expect a lot of you know game art to look that way. So now is that style still protected because it's become so common, so everywhere that it it's become its own thing? I don't know. Like this is it's a tricky one to determine. 
But then again, you could simply say, I am not going to tell Midjourney to create art in the style of anybody. I just want to create art. But you have to have some consistency. You have to be able to tell it in a way. There has to be a style you're presenting it. And that would be a valid way to use that art and not encroach on some other artist. You don't have to simply say, I'm not using an AI whatsoever because AI isn't creative and humans are. I would argue that that is a silly reason. That that reason. AI is not creative. Humans are. That's a silly reason not to use it. I think that if you can't tell the difference, it's the Turing test. Uh, For those who don't know, the Turing test is essentially a test that says, if you talk to a machine long enough and you can't tell it's a machine, it passes the Turing test. Same thing for creativity. If you can't tell this was not made by a, a human versus a computer, it's still creative. It's still something new, something that didn't exist before. Um, I don't know. I, but I, I, I can see your point. I can see your point in the whole art style thing. And I'm glad you mentioned it because I didn't even think of like things like The Simpsons and, and Bluey <laughs> and all of that. Because like, it's instantly I recognized, mean, right? It's instantly recognized. And there, there are people who care a lot about art, who it doesn't have to be The Simpsons or Bluey for an artist's work to be instantly recognized as that artist. And, you know, it, while... Bluey and Mickey Mouse and The Simpsons are owned by giant corporations. Artists are just individuals who are trying to make their own money. And, you know, it could be encroaching on their business. And I'm not saying it's necessarily like, oh, this is definitely going to be a huge downfall. This, But it's it should be considered and we should think about it. And, you know, we should so, maybe there should be an opt in like anything that's in the public domain that are on public displays in museums like yeah ai grab all that stuff that's fine but somebody who's like running a private website where they are putting up commissions for sale do ai's get to just go in and grab that art where are they grabbing this art from do they have access to the entirety of the internet and they can take a watermarked image on watermark it and you know create based off of that that's different these are and 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 i'm i'm certainly think these are valid points i do Mm -hmm. um but if we look at art again let's use the simpsons as an example there isn't one artist that's drawing the simpsons correct the trade dress of that show is presented to many 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 artists at this point and they're all drawing in that style Mm -hmm. and that's essentially what mid-journey is doing now if I were an artist, like like yourself, if you're drawing Bluey characters, you're using the trade dress of Bluey. Yes. You doing that, outputting that, and selling that, that may violate that trade dress, whatever rules around that. Mm-hmm. Midjourney can do the same thing, but the person using the tool, if I was to say, create my family in the style of Bluey, I am now the one violating that. Not Midjourney. It's just another thing that it, it can do. But mo- most artists can draw on the style of Bluey if you ask them to. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we need to restrict the tool to be able to do that. Because to be honest, we can't. There's Once that genie's out of the bottle, and it's an overused, I don't know if it's a metaphor or not, but it's overused. Once the genie's out <laughs> of the bottle, it's out of the bottle. And we need to determine how to handle that. How to handle that is not put the genie back in the bottle. That's just not a viable thing. So I will say I started at this thing at the beginning saying, I think companies are are silly for saying they'll never use AI. I, I still think that. But I will say that it could be valid to say, we will not use AI that that is 
being used to create any art in someone's specific style. I think that, that is, is a fine detrimental to, to people who are working in the industry currently. Well, that's a little bit trickier because then you're saying, well, any art that you might create for free in mid-journey is taking away money from someone else because that's they're not fair. creating that but, art. But, you know, right. like, look at Beth Sobel does the art for Wingspan and Cascadia, several other well-known popular games. Um, and, yeah, like, if whatever company it is, Asmodee, because everyone already hates them, comes in and says, like, well, we're going to create a new game and we're going to have AI create art in the style of Beth Sobel and we're not going to pay her any money. That is that, wrong. I, I and everyone agrees. <laughs> yes. But it's, it's just as wrong. And it doesn't... That's where I'm saying it's not about the AI doing it. It's saying... Asmodee is saying, we're going to create art in the style of Beth Sobel, and we've hired these other five interns that are really great at mimicking her style, and they're going to do all the art. But they're those, allowed both to of those things. do that as long as they, I don't know. But you're not, right? It's because tricky. I'm not allowed to create a Bluey. Like, I'm not allowed to use the Bluey style in a board game, even if I don't call it Bluey. Yet. Yeah. Eventually, that'll pass. But what I'm saying is, it's it's how you use that art that matters. It's not the tool or the person who's generating that art. Mm-hmm. I think that's the distinction. Midjourney makes it easy for anyone to generate art in the style of someone else. But any artist, not any artist, but many artists can also generate art in the style of someone else. You wouldn't ask those artists to do that and expect to be able to use it. So don't ask Midjourney to do that and expect to be able to use it. I think that the rules need to be around the use of what is created, not how the tool can be trained to create something, if that's a distinction worth making. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that I'm qualified to make these kinds of decisions. Um, All right. Well, we are already over time. I will. I do want to mention um, things like deep fakes. And we've seen some um, media lately where, you know, I think it was uh, Joe Biden and still like, you know, reinstating the draft and things like this. Um, All these technologies that mimic voices and faces and you can do videos out of them. Um, These technology, well, these uses of the technology are obviously nefarious. Uh, Nobody will say, hey, I should be able to fake anybody doing anything. But those types of fakes have existed for as long as media has existed. Every time something is created, there's a ways to fake things. Um, the, the fairies in the garden from, I don't know, the early 1800s or wherever, where, you know, Cuttingly early film and things like that. What you're talking about. That famously yes. fooled Arthur Conan Doyle. Exactly. <laughs> like those types of things have always existed. We are getting really, really good at faking things. Um, but I will say there's already technologies that are being created to ve- verify the validity of originally created uh, video and audio. Um, so it's, it's the chicken and egg thing. As soon as someone figures out how to, you know, forge something, someone else is going to figure out how to catch the forger and stop that. So that's going to continue for the rest of human history. Um, all of time. It's just, it's going to happen. So we will see things where you will get a validated image from your phone if you take a video. And as long as it's not edited, you'll be able to determine whether or not that video was taken and not edited versus this video was edited. And that technology already exists. It's going to become commonplace in the next few years. So things like deep fakes and those types of things will, like, I'm not, I'm not arguing that that is a good use of this technology, 
but there's so many technologies that we can use for nefarious purposes. I don't think it's a valid reason to strike the technology. I think it's a valid reason to be concerned and make sure that we have ways to guard against those uses. Um, I just want to make sure nobody, nobody thinks that I'm saying, oh yeah, we should be able to fake all this stuff. And you know, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is use these tools, try them out for yourself, especially if you think you hate them, try them. Because what you're seeing online, what you're seeing in the media are very skilled people who are able to use these tools to do really, really interesting and, you know, interesting things. I'll just leave it at interesting things. Um, but you're probably going to have a, ho- a whole lot harder time coming up with that. Now, ChatGPT is a different thing. ChatGPT is just amazing. It's just amazing. Um, but again, just because it can write you a cover letter doesn't mean that... <laughs> <laughs> like you can ask your friend to write you a cover letter too, right? This is just, you know, I'm gonna have ChatGPT do it, um, so that Kitty doesn't come back and say, "Stop asking me to write you cover letters. Write your own cover letters, or stop yeah, asking Chris. me to make you art. Do your own art, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing." Ah, uh, this we could make an entire podcast just around AI, like an entire podcast series, and I'm sure there's hundreds of them out there. I didn't even look, um, but. Ah, AI. <laughs> I haven't used it. But ChatGPT, oh man, ChatGPT is so good. All right, get us out of here so I can stop waxing poetic. And uh, full disclosure, I am not paid by any of these people. I don't use any of these technologies. I'm barely familiar with them. Um, I have used them a little bit just you know here and there because I'm in the industry. Um, I just don't see them as, like, they're not putting me out of a job. They're not putting artists out of a job. Um they may be putting the people who write, you know, clickbait articles out of a job, but hey, you know something? That's fine. I'd rather read a chat GPT article than, uh, well, I don't think people should get paid to write clickbait articles. I just, ugh, bothers me. That's a different rant for another time. Um, Kitty, if you don't start reading, I'm just going to keep talking. You can't, I can't start talking until you stop. Hosting fees and giveaways <laughs> are can't. sponsored by our patrons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just start talking and I shut up. <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings Monday nights at 8.30 Central Time. Join our Discord to continue the conversation is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. The show notes have all the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Emil Jiljam, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Jimothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keefe, Leanne Verhol, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yossi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan Seed, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, John Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Ronnie, Jerry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Christy Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thank you for anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. So I just asked ChatGPT, 
a question. I said, can I use ChatGPT and image generation AI to make board games? And it's still typing out a response. Um, but it says, it, yes, it is possible to use ChatGPT and image generation AI to create board games. With ChatGPT, you can generate text-based games, rules, storylines, and character descriptions. With image generation AI, you can create the visual elements of the game, including board design, cards, and game pieces. One way to use ChatGPT and image generation AI for board game creation is to first provide ChatGPT with prompts and let you generate different ideas for the game. For example, you could ask ChatGPT to generate ideas for board games based on certain themes, such as fantasy or science fiction. ChatGPT can generate various ideas for the game mechanics mechanisms, objectives, and characters, providing you with plenty of options to choose from. Once you have settled on an idea for the game, you can imagine you can use Image Generation AI to create visual elements of the game. Image Generation AI can create boards, cards, and pieces that match the theme and style of the game. This allows you to create unique and visual appealing board games without needing to have advanced graphics design skills. Overall, using ChatGPT and Image Generation AI to create board games can be fun and creative way to bring your ideas to life. With these tools, you can generate unique ideas and creative visual stunning games that are sure to captivate players. <sighs> I find that fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. It also sounds like it was written by an eighth grader. <laughs> <Maybe>. Accurate. 